0: slash MV Bible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mv bible magic valley bible church built on god's word
1: open your bibles to mark chapter four appreciate appreciate the worship this morning what a joy and delight to look to our lord um as you're turning to mark four i, I want to let you know what's coming next week. Your pastor has been stirred with some issues. And I'm gonna take a break next week from Mark, and I want to talk about mental health in the body. I think about depression, I think about suicide. It is all around us. It's mindful this week of just a, a student, filer, who is getting ready to be valedictorian and took his life. I think about a family this week that was mad at God because her husband was taken away, her father was taken away and she decided to drive off. The issue so often in the church is sometimes we don't address things that are silent in the body. And I think some, to some degree that's because of maybe how we perceive Christianity to be, that we always have to be happy, happy, joy, joy, that we have to put on a, a front, even though we're hurting inside. And and so pray for your pastor this week is, I want to bring some biblical insight not only about these silent threats to our soul, but also how do we as a body come along with aside one another in the midst of dark despair? That's a uh, that's takes out the link in ourselves a little bit, but it's it's heavy on my heart. With the time I have left, I do want us to, to focus in on, on this great gospel of more. And the title of today's sermon is Man's Responsibility and God's Sovereignty and Salvation. Let me read our passage for us this morning. Just four verses. Starting in verse 26 of Mark 4. The living word of God says this, and he was saying, Jesus was saying, the kingdom of a God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let us pray. Father, we... We come to you with emotions, with a desire to to worship you. Our emotions are always based upon truth. They are not based on the winds of the day or or how the wind blows. It's based on reality of your work in the lives of people. Lord, we come to another parable that, that teaches about the kingdom. And I pray that your spirit will will guide us and will teach us as we desire to see how this all unfolds and, and marvel at the work of the gospel in people's hearts. Father, be with your, your servant as he desires to exegete a text that no doubt gives you all the glory. And so we love you. Let me thank you in Christ's name.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now as most come to the end of their school year, I want to take us back to the classroom just for a little bit here. As I'm reminded about an experiment that no doubt most of us have done. You too may have done this experience, but it is an elementary when I remember I was given a styrofoam cup. You guys remember that those days? Your teacher would ask you to write your name on it and then give you some Pawnee soil, and the desire was for you to get a seed and place it in the cup, and then what? Place it on the windowsill. The teacher would would teach about what is going to happen, and and we would water this little cup, and, and we would go home only to wait for the next day to see what's going to happen within the cup. First day, nothing happened, so we add some more water. Next day, nothing, so we add some more water. And most likely, on the third day, a little green sprout begins to show itself on top of the soil. And you just think about the excitement that you had when you put that little bean in the ground. And all of a sudden, something green starts to sprout. Of course, that little being would continue to receive growth once it was tendered to through with the sun. And I remember how excited we were to see life happen as the teacher would use that experiment to teach us about how a seed grows in the soil when provided by water and sunlight and and all the science that goes behind it. It's remarkable when you think about that little experiment. We did little in, in, in preparing the cup for the results that happened. All we did was watch it grow, and then went to sleep. That little experiment is the basis for what Jesus is going to teach us here this morning about the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus himself saw this as a miraculous illustration of saving of souls for eternity. This parable that we just read is only found here in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Luke, and John, they, they don't recognize this parable, but it, it doesn't mean that it gives it any less importance. For we know all the Word of God is inspired and, and errant and, and from the mouth of God. But here Mark uses it to, in context to point to the, to the mysterious power of the seed, or the Gospel, to produce a crop within a human heart without any human intervention. Remember, there is only one main truth that we pull out of a parable. And and by the way, when it comes to this whole issue of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty and salvation, much can be said about that, and i got about 20 minutes to give you, okay? But I want you to understand that there's only one main point that Jesus wants us to understand and pull out of this parable. And clearly what he wants us to show is that we need to marvel in the fact that when the gospel plants itself into a heart, God does the work. That God saves a soul and and he brings forth fruit. Remember, this is the the third parable in this chapter. All these parables given by Christ to teach us about kingdom life. How one enters into the kingdom and, and how one lives in the kingdom. Remember that first parable points to the impact of the gospel has on the hearts of individuals. We looked at the four soils in in great detail. It told us that there were a majority of hearts or soils where the gospel, when it's thrown, won't grow. Why? Because the world or Satan or persecution comes and snuffs out the seed. The only soil to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and produce fruit is what Jesus called the good soil. It was only that soil where the gospel was preached, thus implanting into the hearts, only to nurture and in turn produce fruit. Pretty remarkable when you think about all those things. When you think about what has happened and and what's happening right now as the pastor got his nose messed up. But then last week we saw that the second parable, a parable that pointed to the evidence of the fruit and what it looks like when the gospel does implant itself into a heart that has received the grace and mercy of Christ. And you remember those evidence, evidences last week? There were three of them. One was being a faithful ambassador. When the word of God plants within the soul and changes and transforms a person, that person becomes a faithful follower and ambassador for Christ he also or she also will begin to have and start having spiritual discernment only to lead to being sold out for Jesus Christ. All three of those points points to the reality that someone who is in Christ and Christ is in them, they are so proving to be his disciple and thus being in the kingdom of God. And then this morning... Jesus provides our third parable in this chapter, and what it does, it it tells us, it gives us three things at work, three indispensable factors that are at work in the Lord's salvation. All these things are, are, are moving parts within the work of the Lord. And ultimately, this parable helps us understand how man and God come together in the midst of all those things. Now, let's look at this. With the time that we have, and we'll go a little bit quick here. And no doubt, if you have questions, by all means, call Nate. Now, let's look at this first factor that is at work in the Lord's salvation. And it is man's responsibility. You do have a responsibility in the kingdom of God in God's salvation. Look at verse 26 again with your eyes. It reads, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. You know, when I first read that, I'm thinking to myself, well, that is very simple. You take something, of course, parables often do that. Jesus would take something that they knew, something that was common, and explain the spiritual truth. But you and I, when we think about the kingdom of God, we're thinking about some grandiose, marvelous sight. And yet, Jesus begins by, by, by teaching us in this parable that the kingdom of God is like a man who's just out there throwing seed, And so here we have Jesus teaching in this parable. Again, remember this is something that is is being taught. Remember that this flows when we started chapter 4 with the idea of the large crowd pressing in upon Christ only to teach that first parable, and the crowd kind of walking away confused. And yet the followers and the 12 disciples went after Christ and said, teach us more. What does that parable mean? And so he did. And he taught them exactly as he was making sure that there's now a definite split between those who truly believe in him and those who don't. That second parable was also to those who were on the inside, so to speak. But when you think about what's happening here, this parable... When it begins in verse 26 and he was saying, it's almost like he is taking a step back and you get the idea that he's teaching to everybody here. We see that in verse 33 as well. It shows us there that this was happening, that Jesus was teaching the crowd, teaching the the close followers, teaching the greater crowd with no interpretation. He's teaching those who are close, those who are following him with interpretation. But here is another kingdom, here's another excuse me, another parable about the kingdom of God. And when we think about the kingdom of God, we simply think about this, and I want to put it in simplicity, because I do know this, that if you were to go and look at your lexicons or, or even your theology books, you're going to get a whole plethora of what it says the kingdom of God is. But let me give you just a simplistic understanding of this. When we think about the kingdom of God, we simply think about the kingdom where God is and where his people are. That is the kingdom of God. It's the place where Jesus rules, where God has his authority, where his sovereignty extends to his people and his people receive its blessing. And you're going to say, does his sovereignty extend outside of that? Absolutely. But when you think about the kingdom of God, it is those who are his and where he reigns. And of course, you and I both know when we think about eschatological things, those things, those end times, those things that will come, that Jesus will establish an earthly permanency of eternal reign forever. But you and I both know that is not yet, right? We know that that is not yet. Why? Because we still have sin. We still have Satan on the loose. And we think about some of those things and how it plays in our understanding. And we know that right now, that the kingdom of God dwells within a person. It makes sense to us. Those who are called out, those who are in Christ Jesus, you are identifying, your soul out, and you're in Christ. And your ever-being is thinking about what it means to, to live for Christ. And that is, of course, where Christ dwells within our souls, when the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so the kingdom presence is now within those who are Christ. We understand this. It's a quick saying. There's, there, there can be some, a little bit of pushback about understanding of that, but I think that we follow the line of understanding it in its simplicity that the kingdom of God is where God brings his people. Again. And so what Jesus says, he says that the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed. Again, a simple illustration that they all could grasp. The kingdom of God is like a man who throws seed. Now, this is so important, and I'm a little discouraged, as I was last week, when our translations don't meet up to what the Greek says. But I want to pull this out for you. And he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts, and this is in the Greek, the seed. A definite article pointing to the seed that when thrown, it produces salvation. singular and just like we saw last week it wasn't just any lamp to be shown it was only the lamp that needs to be shown again Jesus is so particular about this whole issue of definitive aspect of the gospel there's only one thing that the gospel believer throws and that is the seed of the gospel Jesus not saying here that there are many seeds that will produce crop and get eventually get everybody to the kingdom. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that there is only one seed, the saving gospel seed, that will produce kingdom of God people. And that is profound. And I don't get why our translations don't pick up on this. Now listen, they're a lot smaller than me, okay? And so we'll give them a grace. But I think it preaches so well when you think about the definitive nature of the gospel. And if there's anything that's loose today, is the gospel. Churches are, are, are casting all sorts of various aspects of the gospel. There's only one that Jesus has in mind. And that is the saving redemption of himself who atones for sin, goes to a cross, rises on a third day, and sins in the right hand of the Father. So particular. Let me see it this way. There's no such thing as coexisting seeds. You get that? There's no such thing as coexisting seeds from all sorts of religions that make the kingdom of God. That needs to be understood. You know why I detest the coexist bumper stickers. Your pastor sanctification, every time I get behind a car that has a coexist sticker, it is put to the test. Why? With that bumper sticker is me. Not all religions coexist. There's only one gospel that saves. There's only one truth that will redeem people. Jesus clearly says this in John 14, 6 where the definite article is used to drive home again the point that he is the only way for someone to come into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No other way into the kingdom of God. No other way or truth in order to be saved. This needs to be heard and needs to be understood. We want to fit our loved ones into maybe a, a more softened gospel because we love them. Listen, it's not our gospel. It is Christ's gospel. It is his truth. And the only way in which a man may be redeemed is by repenting and believing in the one that he gave, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so it makes sense that Jesus begins this parable with a clear understanding of a man who casts the seed of the only gospel that can save you and bring you into the kingdom. And so there's only one particular seed that, when implanted into a heart of a person, will bring you into the kingdom of God. And of course, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, notice something else about how Jesus begins his third parable. He says, A man. This is remarkable. He says, A person. That is, that is you and me. It is a man who throws this gospel seed. In other words, it is the responsibility of you and I, just like the second parable taught us, to throw a seed, to let our light shine, to preach the gospel, to share Jesus Christ. That is our duty, but yet not only is it a duty, it is our delight. Why? Because we understand what happens when we have received the gospel in our own soul. It, it changes us, it transforms us. God's desire is to use as part of the, the kingdom-making aspect of his reign by using man to throw seed. We are called to throw the gospel. Why? Because we know it has the power to save people, right? We remember what Paul says in Romans 1.16 when he says and concludes this about the gospel. Paul says this in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then later in that book, Paul continues that truth by saying in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8, he says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul says this in verse 14. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Which, by the way, that is not just the preacher up here. That is all of us who have been redeemed. How will they hear the gospel? He goes on to say, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I mean, we are called to throw seed. It is our duty, our responsibility. That's the very reason why the church is still here, is to proclaim the gospel. That is our call. And you think about it. You think about how these gospels end. They all end with this call of the great commission. You think about this gospel in particular in mark chapter sixteen, verse fifteen He said to them, "Go into all the world and do what and preached, preach the gospel, not just to your friends but to who all of creation. that is our mandate in the midst of this understanding of uh, of the kingdom people and the kingdom realm, our factor. We factor in by making sure that we are obedient and faithful to throw the seed. Now, there's a second factor in the Lord's salvation, and that is the sureness of God's saving power. You think about man's responsibility of making sure that we proclaim Christ, that we preach Christ. And this is what's so beautiful. I love these these verses that follow here. Look again in your Bibles, verse 27 and 28. Speaking about the sower, the man who who casts the seed, Jesus says this. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Listen you read those those verses, this is just totally remarkable when you think about this. Our duty is to throw the gospel and then go to bed. In all seriousness, that we share Christ and we leave the results to God, which is a great place to leave it, isn't it not? To know that the power of the Word of God will change people's life, and what we get to do is go to bed. Listen, I hope that you're tirelessly throwing the gospel. Why? Because you will have good sleep. If you are figuring out, and this kind of is not launching off on something here, but I want you to understand the significance of resting in the sovereignty of God to take his word and change a person's life. We rest in that. I remember the young man at the time, he was a good friend still, who proclaimed the gospel to me. I remember we were outside of our house in 2000 Canal Street, parked on the side of the road. We had just gotten back from the bar. By the way, I was only 19 years of age. And he says, he looked at me and said, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't live this double life. And I said, why not? I said, Bill, th- we got the world by our hand. We're able to get into places that we can't. We're able to do things that, that, that the world says we can't. And he says, listen, I serve a king and I've been disappointing him when I've been with you. Now, you talk about kind of throwing some daggers at our friendship here. But he said, listen, Barry, there's something more important. And he goes on and shares the gospel with me. And he talks about this reality of sin and damnation and heaven and hell. And, and then he leaves that and he says, okay, goodbye. And I'm like, uh. remember, it's about 1 or 2 in the morning. I go downstairs downstairs and I can't sleep. I am watching the clock tick, waiting for the appropriate hour to give him a call. I mean, he just threw a bomb into my soul that just radically changed eternity for me. And he has the goal to go to sleep. And so waiting for that right hour to give him a call, I called him at six o'clock in the morning. And I said, Bill, I said, I need to talk to you. His first response to my call was that, did you get any sleep last night? And I said, no, I didn't. And he says, oh, I'm so glad. I'm like, no, you don't understand. My eternal life is at stake here. What you just threw on my table is something that is perplexing me. My sin is ever before me. He says, okay, I'll go buy you breakfast. Let's go talk some more, and we did, and he continued to lay out this gospel. And and what what happened was that he was just faithful, and the gospel did the work. The gospel did the work. Sureness. The sureness of God's saving power. I looked that word up. I I love this word. It's not a bare word. This is a true word. Sureness, it it has that it will come about. The meaning is that it surely will come about. And notice Jesus says that the sower is in bed, but when he wakes, the seed sprouts and grows and becomes mature. In other words, the success of the gospel when sown does not depend on our effort, which tells us much about our evangelism today. When you think about that, we don't need to manipulate, do we? We need to be faithful with the truth and allow that. We don't need to create an environment here at Magic Valley Bible Church to try to draw you in. The power of the gospel is powerful enough to save. I, I, I mean, I just love this. And why does it succeed? Because God is active. I love this. Verse 28, look at it again. It says, The soil produces crop by itself. In the Greek, this is the Greek word, "automate," where we get our our English word automatically. Listen, when the gospel falls on a heart, it automatically does its work according to the power in which it was delivered, right? In other words, the power of the gospel and the word of understanding, it will produce. The gospel regenerates. The gospel transforms. The gospel brings conversions. And it can't be produced, manipulated by any human means. This whole process is divinely automatic. You can't start it. You can't stop it. And once it starts, it goes to the full rotation of that. In other words, you are God's. He won't let it go void. Listen, it makes sense. When I think about passages in Ephesians chapter 2 where, where it talks about we are just dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, verse 4 says, but God makes us alive. I mean, this is all out throughout the whole pages of scriptures. Remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? I think of John chapter 3 starting in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was perplexed, so much so that he responded back to Christ by saying, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, you think about the power and the work that God is the one who brings a new life. Of course, Nicodemus was taking it from a rational approach. How in the world can I be born against since i have already been born once? But Jesus says, listen, the gospel can make a new creation. The gospel can save you. The gospel can transform you. And because of that transformation of the gospel being received into a heart and planted into a heart, they enter into the kingdom of God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants, or your slaves for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. And you think about, what is that treasure? Well, that gospel that changes his life. We have this gospel treasure in earthen vessels. So that surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Do you see what he says there? Again, emphasizing the reality that it is God who does the work. The power will be of God and not from ourselves. That passage that I alluded to in Ephesians chapter 2, which is so rich. By the way, that was the first book that I preached at here in this church. And that's been 22 years ago. Lord willing, we'll get back to it because there's so much richness that needs to continue to be unfolded there but look to the screen it says this but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we receive the gospel, when the gospel is implanted in our souls, we recognize the work that Christ has done in our life. And the faith that to to even receive and have your eyes open is is, is a gift from God to make a dead man alive. This is the work and the power of salvation, which is all from God while you're sleeping. I mean, the apostle understood this when in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, in verse 6, he says, I planted Apollos. Watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but God who causes the growth. The nature of the kingdom's growth is all of God. He takes His gospel and puts it in our hands so as to cast it only to do His work and change people's lives. It's important to grasp this truth. The call is for us to be faithful. The call is for us to throw a clear gospel into the hearts of the recipients, the hearts of people. And no human being, no matter how persuasive, no matter how clever, makes any contribution to the regeneration of God in a life. That's what makes this gospel so precious. I mean, I can't force you to be saved. Oh, I wish I could force you to be saved. I wish I could establish my own kingdom. But listen, there's only one kingdom that has the power to take a dead man and make them alive. And he does all the work. Our time is gone. But let me just quickly squeeze in verse 29 here. The last factor, and what you have is man's responsibility, God's sovereign work, and they come together in verse 29. He kind of knits them together. Verse 29 reads this. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In other words... When the work of God in this gospel in a heart permits, God releases it. And who is the he in this verse? It points back to the one who's throwing the seed in verse 26. The man who is sowing the seed, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Remember, this is speaking about harvest and entering the kingdom. Often when we see the sickle, we think about judgment, right? Often in the Old Testament, we see the sickle and just kind of wiping out the individuals. But here what we have is the fact that when it comes to the gospel, one harvests. God allows us to to pick up and rejoice in the fact of the redemption that comes when we throw faithfully the seed of the gospel. Doesn't mean that we had any any work, any hand in that, right? It just means that we get the joy of, of seeing somebody come to Christ. And so what Jesus is saying, once the seed is sown, we go to bed, God does his work, and when he permits it, or when it's ready, the man who has sown now comes back into the pitcher and harvests the results of the divine seed. I mean, this is remarkable when you think about this. Called to throw the gospel, wait for God to do his work, and coming in to harvest and to see that impact, to see the results of the gospel in a person's life. We have no role in the actual work of salvation, but listen, we get to be a part of the harvest. The success then of the gospel does not depend on our power to change the heart, or the power to make the gospel more acceptable, or our power to manipulate with emotions. The work of salvation is divinely God and it's automatic, it's what the gospel does. This is the way the kingdom is. So real quick, what's our takeaway? For one, understand your responsibility, Christian. You throw seed. You throw the gospel. You not only live the results of what redemption does in your life, but you throw the seed. You call people unto himself. And then we go to bed and we sleep. And we allow God to do his thing. remember having this conversation with my wife. We we were trying to think, before we were saved and redeemed, transformed, how many times did we hear the gospel? And it was very tough for us to really kind of grasp our our minds behind it, but we had some faithful people in our lives that we could say, you know what, most likely they did share this, but you got to think about a life where the gospel is being thrown, and God allows this truth to settle within a heart, and then when he determines that it's ready to be harvested, there was somebody there to harvest the soul. I mean, th- this is so encouraging because what usually happens is that we think, and it's okay to expect that the gospel will change people's life in a moment, but sometimes the gospel needs to continue to be sown into a heart until it is the right time. You think about the thief on the cross, I don't know his backstory. story. All we know that he was a thief and he was a mocker of Christ. But it tells us that at one point before he died, he did what? He trusted in Christ. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Remarkable. That is the implantation of of this. He might have been watching all this going on and seeing Christ not, 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 I mean, why is he even there? He was no doubt wrestling and the spirit was taking the gospel that was right before his eyes and he changed his life. Get me here. That thief was on the doorstep of hell. His life, if it was to end before Christ received him unto his own would have been an eternity in hell you think about the mercy and the celebration of that thief before Christ today what a joy and so let us not grow weary of throwing the gospel let us not grow weary of praying for those whom we love who very clearly want the world instead of Christ Listen, be faithful to throw the gospel seed, understanding that God has the power to save and redeem and transform people. Listen, I think you all believe this in practice, do you not? How often on your prayer list are you praying for some individuals to be saved? Do you not believe that this is exactly what's happening when you beseech that God would save a soul? I mean, you're putting this parable into practice, believing that God has the power to save. I mean, what a joyful sleep and rest, knowing that we have proclaimed Christ to those whom we come across, knowing that it is his work to do what he does best, and that is save people. Amen. Let us pray. Father, again, we we thank you for our short time in the word. What a powerful parable it is. Pray that its truth will impact our understanding, knowing full and well that it is your truth, your gospel that saves, transforms, redeems a person. And the call for us is to be faithful into proclaiming, into sharing, and casting seed. Oh, Father, if there's individuals here this morning that maybe for the first time, or maybe for the 10th time, have heard the gospel. That Jesus Christ desires to save, forgive, and bring them grace, knowing that their only entrance into the kingdom of God for eternity is through Jesus. Father, may you draw them to your truth. And may that truth produce a salvation where their lives are changed forever. And so we thank you for such word, such truth, that will not only help our understanding of how the gospel works, but it helps us to delight in the power and the wonder and the awesomeness of the God who's behind the salvation that he has brought. And so we love you and give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com. Slash MV Bible or YouTube at youtube.com slash MV Bible.